the second episode of the show. This is a really special one. I had the honor and privilege to sit down with Matt Orlando, one of the world's best chefs at his restaurant Amas. We got a chance to look at the place before before opening for the day, so it was beautiful. And we got to check out everything that they've built. So please check out the video linked in the show notes. Thank you so much, Matt and the team at Amas. Enjoy the episode and uh, take care. Have a good day and stay safe. Bye-bye. Awesome. Matt, well, we were talking about just before we, before we really get started with the show, I want to... We're in your restaurant, uh-huh. which is one of the coolest restaurants I have ever seen. Thank and you. I've seen a few, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, can we just talk about the space a bit? How did it come about? And, and it's seven years old, right? The seven years. It'll be seven years next month. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, so why was the head chef at Noma? I had given, I'd given Renee my one year notice before I was leaving. Mm. Um, and, and and just to stop on that, how 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 long were you at Noma, and when did you start? I was I was at Noma for a, a total of five years. Five years. I stopped uh, end of February two thousand thirteen. Okay. So I had I had given my one year notice, and I was stopping end of February two thousand thirteen, and I said to myself, I'm going to take one year off. Yeah. I'd save some money. I'm going to take one year off and just kind of rediscover what I really loved about food and restaurants and. Because when you when you are the head chef for someone else, your goal is to be that person, creatively, organizationally, and just like really anticipate what they're going to do before they do it. And so you're in a very specific mind space. And so I wanted just to get out of that. And so I said, I'm going to take a year. And so I planned some trips, and and then literally. March, it's like the third week of March, I was out walking around out here. And when I lived in New York, I spent a lot of time down in um, like Red Hook before it was Red Hook now. Sure. When it was this kind of really post-industrial big warehouses everywhere. And I love that feeling of like something used to happen here, but now it was kind of desolate and kind of run down. And so when I found Ref Saloon, that was this place. And I was walking around out here and I just walked by the window and I was like, holy shit, look at this place, man. It's just empty. And every, every single surface in this space was operating room white. Like the, the stairs, the walls, the ceilings, the floor, every, it was like a sterile white space. What, what was it before you took over? Well, the original, so before us, it was office building. Okay. Um, but before that, it was part of the shipyard that okay. we're in right now. Hmm. And this particular building was, has a, bit of a, a dark past. So it was the, the kind of the tool and um, uniform depot for the shipbuilders. So they would come in, collect their tools and uniforms here. And the unions were so strong in the shipyards that you could not get fired. And if you were maimed or somehow lost an arm or leg, or you would be sent to work here because you couldn't work at your production space post anymore. And so amongst the shipyard, the nickname of this building was the Death Cave. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, you're killing yeah. some animals around. So yeah. that, <laughs> um, so we, I saw the space. I looked inside and I was like, wow. So I contacted the landlords and I asked them if it was available. And, and they're like, actually, someone is looking at it right now. I won't say who that is because it was another restaurant-focused person. And I said, listen this is my story. This is what I want to do. I think it would be worth your time to, to rethink signing that contract with this other person. I think we can do something really special out here with a garden and just, so it's just not a production kitchen. Yeah. And they they went back and forth and then, then they said, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Well, yeah, because maybe for people who don't know Copenhagen that well, or Denmark that well, we're in the capital city, but this part of Copenhagen seven years ago was i mean we opened and right outside the windows right here in the middle of service we'd have a full dining room of people eating and there were some some dudes that would just pull up sit right in front of the window and just start smoking weed (laughs) like dudes you don't tell to leave no no and at first i was like 
the first couple of times I was like, fuck, this is, this is, this sucks. But then I kind of was like, actually, this is cool because these people who are eating dinner here are going to go home and tell that story. And that's going to be so ingrained in their experience. Yeah. And, and there's just been, I mean, it's a bit of the wild west out here. Yeah. Like just weird, weird shit happens out here and, that you're not expecting. And I think what's interesting, because I'm, I'm new to Copenhagen compared mm. to you. I mean, I moved here now a couple of years ago and I've just, I just like Refsalun, like yeah. this, this spot. Because, I mean, there's, you're here down the road. There's, you know, a bunch of other awesome places, bakeries. Yeah. And I mean, it's just becoming. Yeah. And it's still becoming. It's not done. Two right? years ago is yeah. right around when it started to kind of, you could see it. People, yeah. Because I remember when we moved out here, all my friends who had restaurants were like, you're crazy. You're <laughs> going to fail. Yeah. Why? I mean, it's so, so far away. It's not that far away. No, no, no. It's so far away. And um, now I have people calling me. Dude, is there any spaces out there? Can you do you know the landlords? Can you choose to be the landlords? So I, I think we uh, our foresight has paid off. And yeah. we're also we have a space that you can never have this space in the city. We I mean we have a garden, a one hectare garden Amazing. that is like it's a sanctuary out here. So I mean, you said that seven years ago you left Noma and, and you sort of were looking at what you wanted to do next. Mm. And why this place? Why Amas? Where did that come about? And I think because we're in the middle of this pandemic, yeah, it's a good time to look back maybe, right? Yeah. I mean, that's all I've been doing over the last <laughs> like two months is looking back and, and not because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to attach myself to the past, but because I think there's valuable lessons that you learn in the past that maybe you forget in, that when you move past them. Yeah. And I, I was just, I've been looking for those, those, key things within a mass that were really special that that really gave value to the space and really made us feel good about what we were doing and and just tr revisiting those because when you revisit something like that in a different mind frame when you're actually when you've grown and you have more knowledge then those experiences actually become more valuable and you and you you tr you value them way more yeah. so but i mean if we touch on why why a mass why here um i think that you know, back to this, this, I, for me, when you go to a restaurant in the city, you walk down the same street, you walk down every day, you, and up until you enter the front door of the restaurant, your experience is the same that you have every single day. So by building a restaurant out here and your, your experience doesn't start when you walk in the door of the restaurant, your experience starts when you walk out of the door of your apartment or your hotel room. It's a, it's a, it's a journey out here. And you, a lot, I mean, I remember when you cope, I would say 80% of Copenhageners who came to a mass when we first opened had never been to Refsalun. I mean, I lived, I lived in Copenhagen for five years before I ever came to Refsalun because no. there was nothing out here. And then all of a sudden people started coming out here. And I mean, I remember when Christer from La Banquina, he's like, Hey, I think about thinking about opening a cafe out there. I was like, you're crazy and then i was like wait everyone said that to me when i <laughs> yeah. and then look at he's like i mean that is a genius no, business model I mean, over there i mean i, I can't I'm, I'm i'm i have a baby now so we don't get out as much mm. uh it's just frustrating with all these tourists and danish people who, when the sun's out everyone goes to la banquina and yeah. it's like dump jumping in the water and sort of you know having the wine and yeah i mean it's just um it's almost like this has become a postcard for Copenhagen now. Kind of, yeah. You know, it's like it's I mean, definitely sort of this this area and everything that's happening here. You also have empirical spirits down the road. Empirical spirits down the road. I mean, alchemists. You got repping going on. I mean, there's it's it's it's, it's becoming this. It's funny because all the businesses on this island that are making the island have some kind of um, standing or, or visual identity yeah. are all food based. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's and but they only probably make up. 20% of the businesses yeah. out here. There are a lot of businesses out here. Yeah, exactly. We, I want to touch on the garden a bit mm -hmm. because you, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, was, what was the idea with the garden and, and what is, what are you doing with it right now? Cause you showed us also, you grow your own, no, I don't know how to say it right. You grow your own fish. Or? Well, the fish are used for in the aquaponic system aquaponic to system. grow the plants. There we go. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, the garden, started out as 500 square meters. Yeah. And for the first three years of the restaurant, I was the only one that mowed the lawn because it was like my, my stress release. But then <laughs> it started to stress me out because I didn't have time to do it. <laughs> but during those three years, I added about a half a meter onto the garden. Yeah. 
I'm a big fan of ask for forgiveness, not permission. (laughs) And uh, before you know it, we had a greenhouse and it was infinitely bigger, twice as big as it was before. And the landlords have been cool about it. They actually sent me an email last year and they're like, we see what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's fine. But stop. (laughs) <laughs> you've pushed it enough yeah like, we've like, pushed uh, it and i thanked them for that i was yeah. like thank you very much <laughs> um the restaurants industry's changed like no other industry in the past few months and yeah i mean when the pandemic hit in the early weeks it was kind of this disp- it was this chinese thing right yeah. it was like oh yeah it's happening in china yeah a bunch of friends who have companies out there and work in factories uh out there and they were like yeah it's tough here but it's in wuhan yeah we don't care about that yeah. even in neighboring regions yeah and then we were in india and i was like i was getting a little worried about i'm like mm, this is getting a little That's stressful right, you had gone with the family yeah, right we went, exactly we yeah, went to I india with the family and yeah. and because we were talking about some interesting stuff yeah which hopefully we'll get to do at some point yeah. um and and during our trip there is when things started getting a little little crazier we mm-hmm. started hearing more cases and i'm a very um how do i put it S- not stressful person but i'm mm. I'm a folk i'm like i'm obsessed with stuff sometimes yeah. i'm like i get into it yeah so i downloaded all these apps and started following all these doctors all over the world and i'm like guys this is serious this yeah. is gonna be crazy we got back home to denmark and a week later the government shut everything down so from for me it was and the first person i first people i thought about were all my friends in the restaurant industry because yeah. i work in tech and I run startups, I advise companies, you know, we, most of the work that we do can be done from home Yeah. without much. I mean, there's of course some issues, but we're in a restaurant where people have to feed other people and work together. I mean, this virus must have hit you personally and the industry like a ton of bricks. It, he, I mean, those first few weeks were surreal yeah. because no one knew what was happening. It was at that point in time, no one knew much about the virus and everyone just knew it was spreading. No one knew long-term effects. No one knew really how it was spreading um, as in depth as they do now. And it was just like, okay, everything's shut. And I mean, we were even, we were at a point where, okay, we had a thir- we had a, a service on Thursday night and it was the that day they had said, okay, this is this is happening. Um, they hadn't shut restaurants yet. I think they shut restaurants maybe a week and a half later. But it was at that point we said, okay, we'll do service on Friday night. Let's see. And then I kind of woke up Friday morning and I was like, we're not doing service on Friday night. We're not doing service tonight. This is like this is serious. Like this is a our. I mean, if any if anybody can contribute in a way, it's shutting down your restaurant to to mitigate human contact and potentially spread of the disease, the, the virus. And so we just, I called the staff up and I said, everyone come in, we're gonna have a meeting, we're, we're shutting down. And we're gonna just focus on shutting down the restaurant today and, and getting everything shut down. And when, for that a was a few, that was the- Three months ago, two months ago? That was the 12th of May, I yeah. think, um, or 11th maybe. Yeah. Um, and then, but it, then it was just like, everyone left that night yeah. and, n- I didn't have any information to give them. I didn't. And, and, and then I just spent literally the next three weeks, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day on the phone with lawyers and accountants trying to figure out what is going to happen. Yeah, because, I mean, we've seen in the news in the U.S. a lot because there's a lot of, I mean, the U.S. has been hit a lot worse in <laughs> yeah, some ways. Yeah, uh, there's all, they've also gotten a lot less help. Exactly, from the government have. as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we should talk about both those things because... You, of course, see all the chefs like Dave Chang, all the other ones you see on TV and in the news who talk about laying off people. And mm. and I mean, there's, of course, the restaurant industry is very per- people heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. like a service, right? Yeah. So how, how has it been for you in terms of those aspects? And because Amas, as a group, mm-hmm. you have a few things going on besides just the yeah. restaurant. And yeah. what has happened since the pandemic and what have you had to deal with? I mean... I mean, I think the, the, so we have, we have a mass, uh, brought and build the brewery and then uh, research space. And, you know, there came a point where, you know, everything falls under one company. And so if, if one of those legs is draining liquidity, 
it ultimately drains liquidity from, starts draining it from the other of course. appendages. So we, um, we actually had came to a point where, you know, Amass is a very much a startup. We were one year old when this happened and we were, we had definitely learned a lot in that one year and we were on a trajectory to kind of get over that kind of one year hump when you could s start making money finally. Um, and this thing hit and it just hit us at the, when we were the most vulnerable. Like if it would have hit three months later, we might've had a chance, but it hit like we had just reopened after going through this big thing with the, this legal battle with the floors that were installed and we had, we had lost um, income, yeah. all that. And, and I mean, we the reason just, we connected our mutual friend was, yeah, was Susie, yeah. Susie. She was running the place. Exactly. And I, I remember also just like the level of stress on her face every day. Man, I was like, it was, it was hard. And then this happened and it was just like, okay, that was the nail in the coffin right there. Yeah. We just, we could not recover without potentially compromising a mass. And I mean, it's no secret, a mass is my baby. So, mm. <laughs> so that was kind of my priority. And, um, there just came a point where my lawyer and my accountant said, listen, you, you got to pick one or the other right now. We don't have the liquidity because it's not now this was happening. Like uh, Broaden and Build could be open right now, but this is like November, mm. December, when everything slows down, especially in Scandinavia and people kind of hunker back up into their apartments and and that that's the scary time. And, and that's what I, I'm hoping everyone in the restaurant industry here realizes that it's all hunky-dory now and, and people have been on lockdown and they're coming out and they're, and they're eating and, and that's not to say, I mean, we're still operating a mass at a limited capacity because of the rules and restrictions in place, which are, it should be there. I'm not arguing that, but that means that we're actually not taking the income that we need, um, to have a positive year. No. So this liquidity that's in our bank account, um, that's that, that we're fortunate enough to have from broaden and build by, by shutting it down. That's the liquidity that's going to carry us through the, the darker, slower months. And I hope that most restaurateurs in this region are, I mean, in no. general in the world are, are looking six months ahead yeah. for that time, yeah. because there's also potentially a recession that's going to follow this. And that's all that's being talked about. And yeah. we just need to be ready to not be as kind of fruitful as it is right now. I mean, this takes me back a little bit to, I, I love, it might not show right now, but I'm really into custom-made suits. Mm -hmm. And there's Savile Row in London, the mm -hmm. street uh, where all the famous, you know, suit makers live yeah. and their shops, hundreds of years old. And there was an African-American suit, African-British suit maker, um, Oswald Botang, uh -huh. And he said something which, I don't know, whatever, sometimes some stuff just sticks in your mind. And he was like, when things were great, we were not getting fat. Uh-huh. And we sort of kept lean. Yeah. And I think it's kind of those in, in a business where it's it's a high margin because it's, you know, you're producing amazing quality, you're offering a great service, but still it's, you know, the economy can change any minute. Yeah. The world can change. I mean, <laughs> the pandemic can it come, has. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, we saw that. But uh, if we touch on how have you pivoted or how have you changed, how have you sort of tackled this? Because I think there's a lot of lessons in there. Mm for other restaurateurs, for other chefs, for people in the industry and outside of the industry. Yeah. Because like my personal um, interest in also talking to you has been, I love this industry. I'm uh -huh. not a chef. Uh -huh. I don't work in the restaurant industry. I work, for, I work in tech. But a lot of tech people <laughs> love restaurants. They do. I know a lot of tech yeah, people. <laughs> exactly. You do, yeah. Uh -huh. And we can get into it if you like. Uh -huh. But um, I mean, there's, for me, it was, I, I just kept seeing a couple, especially with the pandemic, all these wounds were opened up. Yeah. But the financial side of things, you know, the the hiring, I mean, everything. You everything. Can, you can sort of see that the industry, as old as it is, hasn't moved forward. No. Hasn't sophisticated itself. And I just kept thinking, we can. the tech isn't complicated here. We can come up with solutions for yeah. this. And I was talking to Susie about this in our backyard for an hour. Yeah. And she was like, no, this wouldn't work. This wouldn't work. I'm like, but let's try it. Yeah. I think now is the time to try stuff. But I mean, so two things. First and foremost, when this started to happen, I sat down with the whole staff and I said, okay, in the past, um, we have often said in conversations about changing things or doing things that, oh, you know, that's, that's not what we do here or that's not in our DNA. And I said, those two sentences don't exist anymore. 
now we need to be nimble. We need to be open to anything. And so that's having a printer and a fryer in the kitchen now that we <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when you showed us, exactly. I mean, it was, um, yeah, you've, you've definitely modified. Yeah. I mean, you've modified the kitchen. The restaurant looks different. Yeah. You've but got, it, yeah. I, I had this conversation with, with Henry, who's running the wine bar now. Yeah. And we have a, a POS system now. And we never had a, a POS system like we have there with printers and, and it's just more like tech integrated now. And going through that process of setting it up, I, I looked at Henry at one point and I was like, Henry, the fine dining world operates in the dark ages. Like you and I, everyone, we, I mean, we're operating at the higher echelons of the restaurant industry. But this is showing us now that there's another, there's a whole side of the industry yeah. that we have no clue about. And we're, we're you, like archaic in how we run the restaurant. We can come back to the pivot you made, but you said you, you have, you know, people in the tech industry. Mm. How did that come about? And what is that? And how much do you want to talk about that? I mean, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, they, the tech industry, like you said, I mean, most people in the tech industry have some expendable income so they <laughs> like do. to eat out <laughs> exactly yeah we do and so through that you you always end up eating or meeting really interesting people and yeah. some of those people become your investors some of those yeah. people just are there to support and yeah. and have good advice and and they just it just seems like the, the tech industry loves the restaurant industry um but i also think i had a really interesting conversation with um someone who's done a bunch of startups and they're like you know i the restaurant industry feels like Silicon Valley in like the late 90s, mid 90s, and how it's like there's something bubbling there and it's about to explode. And and they're just and that's what the restaurant it's like this because the restaurant industry has been operating in this like archaic ways. There's this opportunity to go in and just like make everything more efficient and and i think like we we, know we have some mutual friends who are doing you know solutions for different yeah. aspects of the value chain mm -hmm. but i want to i want to touch on bowline for a second because mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit because yeah. we're talking about tech now and there's some yeah you launched something i mean you put something out recently bowline so bowline is a bowline is a was an amazing very spontaneous thing um a a restaurateur friend of mine he He's not a chef. He runs a wine bar and a restaurant. Uh, reached out to me just during this whole thing, and it was really cool because he's Danish, and um, he had just started to reach out to me to make sure, me being American and an expat, that I was understanding all the information coming out in regards to stimulus packages. And he was just really worried. He didn't want me to miss anything, and he wanted me to understand, which was great. And then he and I started talking, and and I had done a um, a really cool thing on Zoom with myself and Amanda Cohen from Dirt Candy in New York, the two of us chefs and then 15 consumers. So people that aren't in the industry, they just eat out. And we were given the opportunity just to ask them questions on what were their, when, when restaurants reopened, what were their biggest fears? What did they not care about? What did they care about? All this, it was a really informative session for myself and Amanda. And then, so I was telling uh, my friend Christian about this and he's like, wow, we should do that. And then we said, okay, how do we set this up? And then we got Eric Guthy, who is an American, who's a professor at CBS University in business. We got him involved um, because the three of us knew each other. And then we started talking about, okay, let's do a survey and then use that survey as the basis for this Zoom conversation with consumers. And then, so then Eric got his students involved because they're just, I mean, he has students that at the business school that just are do surveys and design surveys and set them up. So then all of a sudden we were, then we had like four more chefs involved, two more restaurateurs, one from London, a, a, another professor from London University. All of a sudden we had this group of people and all this happened within a week. <laughs> Amazing. And then all of a sudden we sat down with these students, developed a survey and literally sent it out. And all that happened within two weeks. And the thing that happens sometimes within the restaurant industry is that there's a lot of talk back and forth. Oh, let's do this and let's do this and nothing really comes out of it. And I think the reason this, I mean, within 72 hours, we had 4,700 people had done the survey. Wow. And the reason I think this had such a big impact is because it was raw. It wasn't 
like pretty and it was and just it was it was just a, a way to get information from people so we as restaurateurs and chefs can understand what we were going into that sounds like that sounds like a tech startup that's like yeah mvp for of, or anything else you do in tech is like let's just test it yeah let's put it out yeah it's not going to look pretty but we can improve it if we're not going to stop exactly this is the first try same thing with this podcast like it's i mean it's it all came together so quickly uh-huh. and i could say oh yeah maybe i should wait to buy the right equipment or you know maybe whatever no no no. let's get into no, it let's just start your mic. Don't oh, stand. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> who needs to stand when you have hands right uh and 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 have friends who want to help you and let you borrow the equipment and, and who want to help you film and yeah. you know i mean it's amazing so yeah and yeah but i think we're we're now at a point and i just got an email from eric this morning um because he's got more students that want to come on now and we're at a point now where we kind of, all of us, the chefs and the restaurateurs in the group were like, okay, we're just opening. We need a couple weeks just to, to back off a little bit and mm-hmm. just because we need to focus on our restaurants and get those going. Um, but I think it, week after next, we're all going to meet up again because there is a, there's, now there's the next evolution of that. And we don't want to just keep putting out surveys because that'll get boring. But it's more how do we, I think um, what they have done now is they've taken that survey and now distilled it into m- into a format that's a bit more digestible Mm. and now we are going to reach out to chefs who have used this survey to reopen their restaurants and have them write short kind of excerpts about what they've gone through and how they've used it and and what their challenges have been and then we'll kind of revisit okay what's the next step because what what kind of lacks within the restaurant industry is a platform like bowline to share information yeah. and we want to make it open sourced and we want people to be able to contribute to it and and that was it was it was all those things that got me excited because i told i told i spoken to susie a week or two before you put it live so around the same time yeah i guess you were working on it uh-huh. and i just said that there's all these things in the industry that are being controlled by these massive companies mm-hmm. who don't have any reason to innovate like, like just open source it yeah like I mean, it might not look as pretty but at least it saves you money yeah and and it and it might be right for you we'll talk off air i have some yeah. ideas and you know be yeah. fun, be fun but i think i think what we're what we're realizing quickly i mean christian did the website and sure. just threw it together and i i think and he, he did a great job and he's very he's a design guy so he loves <laughs> he loves to do that um but i think what we really need now the next evolution is to incorporate some i think deeper tech into it to get it to a wider audience and and put it into a format where it's a bit more diverse and can can there can be outside influences not just all coming i just got a an email last night from a restaurant in lithuania who's like we love bowline it helped us so much we want to launch bowline in lithuania now Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we are our ultimate goal is to be able to because a very kind of distilled um, definition of what we wanted to do is be able to create this survey and then give it to other countries to put out in their own, because the demographics greatly affect the survey. And so Lisa Aubin just translated it into Spanish to send it to the Spanish chefs. Um, So that's kind of where we're at. But I mean, it's, it's such a good initiative to start at this time. Right. Mm. And, and let's get, let's get back to sort of how have you, I mean, this is, this is, this is one of the ways you're pivoting or not pivoting, but mm. adjusting to the current uh, situation. Yeah. But how are you doing it in the restaurant? Because there's some changes. AFC is launched. Yeah. Final. I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I mean, what's crazy is that, like I was talking about before when we were walking around, you know, a, a friend of mine asked me last fall, like, do you think you've grown out of the space? Do you think you have, do you think there's nothing more you can do in this space? And I, I looked at him, I said, no, there's more, but I don't know what it is. And then lo and behold, four months later, we are operating a, a tasting menu restaurant right in the same room split by some shelves as a fried chicken and natural wine bar <laughs> and it's like i mean that fried chicken is as close to a religious experience with chicken that i've had <laughs> in a long time ever in my I life mean, we put some serious r and d holy shit yeah i, I had a broaden and bill uh-huh. a couple of months back and i was just serve this only serve you this know what's crazy is that at broaden and build the most chickens we ever sold in a week was 240. We sold 817. Wow. And that's, I think, because of this, the space here. You have the space inside, but you have the massive garden, a terrace, exactly. when the weather's nice. And I love the, everyone was so afraid of, oh, what's, we're gonna have people in here 
having tasting menus and then there's gonna be like a party going on in the garden. And I said, yes, I love the, the opposite nature of, of that. People just, there's music in the garden, eating fried chicken in their no shirt on, sandals, just hanging out. And then you have people dress nice. It's almost full circle, right? Back totally. to the guy smoking weed when you first yeah, opened up. Exactly. It's kind of like, now you just control it There's better. There's definitely people smoking weed and eating fried chicken <laughs> in the garden. I guarantee you that. Welcome to Europe, baby. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe topless, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I love, and but it's it took this extreme situation we're in for us to, or for me personally, to realize the potential of this space. And you know, if you look around town, there's a lot of restaurants doing things outside of the norm. But I think the difference between what we're doing here and that is that this is permanent. We're not going back to the old mass. For us, this is a permanent thing. We're doing tasty menus here and we're serving fried chicken half a meter away. And amazing wine. And it, it, it's an evolution, right? It so is, it's, it's an evolution. It's um, not, it's not a, and you don't know where you're gonna, you were mentioning something as well up there with the private dining space is gonna be I mean, be we're gonna, turned that's into gonna it. evolve into, it'll be a smaller private dining space, but then our research. And then eventually, probably this winter, Kim, who's head of R&D, will do maybe for 10 or 12 people, 10 course tasting menus based on only our, all of our new techniques and dishes that we're working on up there. I'm gonna have to talk to you off air about yeah. that. <laughs> give me, give me a little spot. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's, it's this, again, I can't, I mean, we're in this awesome space and there's all these murals on the wall. Mm. How did that come about? Like, I mean, where did the art come from? And so when I, I, I grew up around graffiti. Okay. Um, and in that culture and- And where did you grow up? Again? San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. And so, and that was kind of the, the feel of the spaces. I, I grew up surfing, skating, snowboarding, listening to hip hop and around graffiti. And it's like, when we were designing this space, like I said, it was my, my wife and I who kind of sat here. We had a friend who she, she, went to school for interior design, but then she was like designing furniture. And, and so she sat with us and did some sketches. We had no like computer drawings of the space before. And I, I, I said to my wife, I said, the best restaurants I've been to are where like the chef or, or the owner of the restaurant, it's like their personality is kind of in the room and you can feel it. And she's like, we can't put like graffiti and stuff on the wall or we, and if you want to play hip hop. And I was like, why not? And to back up my argument for that was that we, where we are now seven years ago was way rougher and there was graffiti everywhere out here. And I said, one thing, I think it's so weird sometimes when you walk into a restaurant where when you enter the restaurant, you leave the outside and it's a completely different environment. And for me, I wanted the inside to be an extension of where we are because I love the area where we are. So why, why, why shun that away like it's not yeah. important? Why not bring it inside? Yeah. So a big part of that was just bringing the art that was outside inside. And, and, and are these uh, artists from, yeah. from oh, outside yeah. of so, uh, so Henrik Danish? Henrik or, or Soten. Soten. Um, he's, he's become one of my best friends. And in Denmark, he is, I mean, in the upper echelons of, of graffiti artists and, and he, that's his job. He gets commissioned to fly around the world and he lives between here and New York. And, mm. and over the last couple years, so we change the art every year. So yeah. this is our sixth version of the room, which is cool because it's a fresh kind of new look every time that's you enter. Awesome. Yeah. And this year um, we had, there was five artists that painted this year in here um, from all over Europe. Wow. And was it, I think two years ago, one of the artists, uh, his name was Insane 51. He, I believe he is from Greece and he did a piece over there that was posted on a graffiti website that had a million views. Yeah, I remember walking in here. I was like, I've seen that piece or I've shared it. Or He's something. A, and yes. so he, uh, all of a sudden, then Henrik started getting phone calls from graffiti artists all over the world wanting to come paint at a mass. Wow. So now it's like five different guys painted this year. Yeah, because um, you have you have the train right there and then so um there is and for those of you who are only going to hear the podcast come to Amas and check it out yeah Just yeah it's hard to, it's hard yeah um so they paint together and yeah. they come in a different and, and usually we close the home with the february so i just give them the keys and, and they go yeah. for it 
and but it's so really embarrassing. This, this is actually my wife. Oh wow! Right here behind us. She beautiful. doesn't want to admit that it's her. <laughs> Where is she? That it is her. She's a. Yeah. She's got bang short hair. Yeah. It's her. Beautiful. Yeah. It's very nice. Um, really cool. And yeah, it's just it's just been a really cool process, and that's another. I've just also um, that like when we went to it was so cool. We went to I went to Melbourne for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival a couple of years, mm-hmm. and I brought my wife and my daughter and. And uh, Henrik is like, you gotta hook up with my friends, and they'll take you around and show you a bunch of cool walls in, in Melbourne because the the scene there is really cool. So we met up with one of one of the guys that Henrik paints with when he's in Australia, and we just hung out all day, had lunch, cruised around all these different murals, and and I mean that's what I love about sort of graffiti and and, and all these, I mean graffiti, skateboarding, sort of these I call them niche cultures that have yeah. become sort of you know more mainstream yeah. now. I mean, when you meet these, I, 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 I've worked with a lot of tattoo artists. Yeah. Uh, there's a company called Tattoo down the road. Uh-huh. I know the guys quite well. And and when you meet artists of any kind, yeah. and chefs are artists yeah. as well, you know, they're they're quirky. There's some things that are, you know, different about them. Everyone's so open too. But that's and it. And everyone wants to share and everyone wants to to show you and everyone's just so cool. Like, and, I think, and I think that was to me sort of the big, that's why also I'm a, tri- I love the restaurant industry because most restaurant chefs, most chefs that I know, or most people in the industry that I know, are are just nice people. Mm. Of course, there's assholes. <laughs> I just ha- as I just, there are everywhere. As there are everywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, but I just haven't met that many of them, and yeah. that's also part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast was that I ha- I want to have an excuse to catch up. Mm. You know, with the people that I know who who are kind enough to give me their time. Yeah. And and you know, sort of talk about what they're up to, their challenges, what they're doing, and also just because I think there's. We can all learn from each other at this time more yeah. than ever because there's so many. Oh, yeah. I mean, like if if the restaurant industry, the hotel the services, enter- entertainment has been hit the hardest in the pandemic, what can the rest of us learn from from you guys? Mm. You know, and what are you doing right now? Which we're like, which who rest of us who thought oh, we're in tech, oh, you know, we, we build apps, we're untouchable. Yeah. You know, and yeah, this pandemic hasn't proved that wrong. Apps are being downloaded more than ever, but the point is we need to learn from each other because we're all connected yeah. whether we like it or not we are connected right so and if we're not connected maybe we should be because there are so many what i what i've really come to appreciate um having my own restaurant and, and kind of being operating in the sphere where we are um in regards to the kind of sustainability and being a responsible business is that that crosses over industries and i think the some of the biggest inspiration i've i've gotten in regards to running a mass is from outside of the restaurant industry and how people work and people just thought processes on approaching different situations and how they source different things. And I mean, I have such a great relation with, with Jesper who owns ScareArt. It's a furniture company, but it is like how he sources his wood and all this is, is amazing. And just having that, those conversations, it, it makes you realize that the restaurant industry is, it doesn't, we don't have to be in a bubble. We can. It's okay to look up and look around and, and and engage with other industries. You you said something. Sustainability is sort of a word, mm-hmm. and I I really relate that to you a lot. Mm-hmm. That sort of how and I mean the restaurant industry as a whole is super unsustainable. It's incredibly unsustainable. So incredibly. So how how did you go about doing sort of thinking of sustainability in a mass and how do you and because I, mean, I mean we talked about it earlier. It's it's the core of a mass or it's yeah. like it's foundation of a mass. It is. I mean, we, it is for us, it's about showing people that you can run a restaurant in an extremely responsible way without compromise. Yeah. And you know, we talk closer about, to the mic. Sorry. We, we talk often about, um, you know, what do we, you know, impact is a big word that we, as a word that we use all the time and how do we have the biggest impact on potentially not only our industry, but other industries. And, and that's working in a responsible way and showing people that you can do this and not compromise and in fact, enhance the experience of your guests. I mean, we've created through different techniques and stuff, we've taken byproducts that are generally discarded and, and thought of as not having zero value and taken them and turned them into things that have crazy flavor that we could actually use and change the flavor profile of the food to have a profile that people haven't tasted before. Yeah. And I think, I mean, deliciousness is the driving factor. We'll never do something just because it, we could come up with the most 
efficient way to process the stems yeah, I, I, of cabbages. Exactly. I don't need a mass soylent, right? I'm fine. Like, no. I, I, <laughs> no. And no one needs that. Like, no, what? definitely. <laughs> um, because we're if, if we don't, I mean, what we talk about amongst the staff here is that, you know, a lot of restaurants do things to get Michelin stars or get on lists and all this stuff. And that is not the driving force here. The driving force here is to create an experience, an exceptional experience to prove to people that you can operate like this and not, like I said, compromise. And I think what's interesting with that is you're, there's a problem. The industry, sustainability, it's just the way it works. It, it's not good. No. And again, instead of sort of shying away from it and saying, oh, we're going to put it under the rug, you're like, this is an opportunity. Yeah. Can we develop new techniques? Can we develop stuff you know, within the restaurant to improve taste, to, to, to make things better, yeah. faster, more efficient, more effective? The bigger problem, though, yeah. is that people are now using this to greenwash themselves. Now, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was because I appreciated people who talk their mind yeah. and stop hiding behind the bullshit veneer of sort of, you know, oh yeah, I, you know, I can't say this because people aren't going to show up. Fuck them. Yeah. Like if they're not going to show up, then they, 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 never, you were, they were never coming for you anyway. No, exactly. So a couple of things on this. First of all, the greenwashing part is, I mean, I've, my family business is in, in Ayurveda Natural Medicine. Yeah. There's only greenwashing. <laughs> it's like everything is organic, natural, yeah. pure. L'Oreal has nothing that's organic or natural or pure. That's bullshit. But we can, that's another episode, yeah. another time. Yeah. Talk about greenwashing and talk. And before we get into that, you, I think you put up a post on Instagram or you said it somewhere <laughs> about the world's 50 best pe uh, people and sort of how they. Well, what just the, it was it was multiple outlets. Sorry. Like yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't worry. I don't. All these outlets is let's you know mm. sort of who have kind of not left you hanging or, or, but something along those lines. Yeah. And that was to me a very apt opinion. Yeah. And I'd love to get into that as well. Like how, how do you, I mean, how do you see that went? And I mean, I, just, I mean, well, let's just, we can talk about the greenwashing yeah, first. Sure. I mean, there is this, there was a, there was, I mean, greenwashing happens all the time of course. across industries. When it happens in the restaurant industry, Obviously, it, it affects me and frustrates me more than any because the thing is that there are people out there that are really doing this, that are putting a because it takes a lot of effort, that are because it's not the norm. Anything you're doing that's not the norm takes more effort. And for people who are not really doing it to come out and say they're doing it, it just discredits and devalues everything that the people that are doing are doing. And I mean, Doug McMaster from Silo, he is the, he is really, really doing it. Christian Puglisi, um, the guys at Nola up, up in uh, Finland, like the, these are restaurants that are doing it. And then you have restaurants, which I won't mention, that are just blabbing out, hashtagging sustainability, hashtagging this. And then all of a sudden, and the, and the consumers are blind to what's really happening. And all of a sudden, these, all of a sudden, this all best sustainable restaurant in the world and you're like you're a three mission star restaurant operating in the alps like how are you the most tell me why and that was why i had a huge rift back and forth with the top 50 um because we got an email it's like oh you were second most sustainable restaurant in the world i was like well tell me why they were what's the criteria what's the and because not because i'm mad i didn't win because if they really are then i want to i want that information so i can improve myself nothing yeah and but I would say, we, okay, we can move on to that. The post that I yeah. put up about these different outlets, about how I said, yeah, listen. there's many, yeah, you're right. There, there's, there's, there's many outlets that I mentioned in that post. And um, I just said, no, where are you guys? You guys, you guys, you don't exist unless we exist. You feed off of us. And now we are so vulnerable right now. Where are you? Like what, this just proves that you are you, you don't really care or you don't or at least you don't understand this industry if you're just standing back and letting us all just like s potentially and, wither up and die and i think what's what's i mean what's interesting is the bloggers mm -hmm. some of the bloggers have been i mean they're by local support local there's also an initiative you yeah. started you're part of starting mm. sort of around support local stuff i think that's that's kind of been something that's come out of it was very positive yeah. because i think a lot of people who have a following on social media have sort of taken it upon themselves. Yeah. And some of these media outlets have also done that, but 
you're right. I think this is a bigger question to go yeah. after because I, I, yeah. I will add though, you know, I put that post out and um, maybe a week later, mm. the head of the top 50 called me and um, she, she, she basically said, Matt, you're right. We messed up. Well, that's, a, that's cool. And that was positive. And she said, help us. What do we do? How do we, how do we help you guys? We don't know. And so we talked for an hour and a half and now they're doing it. And literally everything we talked about, they're executing in some way, which I will give them a lot of credit for that because they, they showed, they showed vulnerability. They reached out, they wanted to know how to do it. Yeah. And now they're doing it, which is great. Um, I mean, that's, I don't think many other lists are doing that. I think they are, they kind of just kind of pulled back and especially this opinionated about dining. Mm. Yeah. Horrible list <laughs> based in just vanity and no substance. Which one is that? Sorry. What? Opinionated about dining. Okay. I have no problem saying that no, because no. I can't stand it. It's, no, it's, no. Yeah. it is just, yeah. And I mean, to, to me, that's the other thing, right? Because you said something which was honest and, and open mm -hmm. and, and, you know, people are going to say, okay, he's one of the best chefs in the world. I'll say it. He has one of the best restaurants in the world. I'll say that. I've eaten in a few of them. I think yours is personally. And then for you to go out on the limb and say something like that opens it up to a lot of criticism as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we, I mean, I, we got criticism of definitely. Course. And, and, and I, that's fine. And I, I think if you say something and you don't get criticism, then you haven't really Pushed enough, yeah. pushed, mm. poked the bear enough. Because I think that's, I think that's also what's needed for, and that's why, again, I, I, I know the tech world. In tech, you're constantly criticized. Yeah, you have to be. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't that's know. That's how you improve. Exactly, because at the end of the day, you know, you don't. Nobody needs a better version of anything. Yeah, but if you don't do it, we're all screwed. Yeah. Because the whole foundation, it's evolution, right? You, you have to move forward. Yeah. You have to get better. You have to learn. You can't just say the way a business was 10 years ago, five years ago, 50 years ago is the same as today. Yeah. We're learning. We're getting better. I think, I mean, what's happening in the world to 2020 has been such a crazy year. <laughs> I mean. 2020, everyone keeps saying, oh, it's a throwaway year. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and <laughs> but I think, maybe it's not. Though. I think that's what I'm, I think. The, Sorry. No, no, no worries. I think there's, there's this dichotomy, right? Where it's. I mean, in anything good, like everything is super hard right before you elevate a level. Yeah. Right. Like right before you, I mean, if you're a gamer or any, any, anything is like, or in anything in life, right? Yeah. It's tough as hell. And then the next day you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit better. I'm a bit stronger. Oh, I mean, everyone in the restaurant industry is going to be stronger on the backside yeah. of this. And I'm like going to be, I'm going to be talking to a lot of people from the restaurant industry mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and you're the first one. <laughs> so the bar is pretty high, <laughs> but there's going to be, and I mean, there's so much in this space to, to talk about because it's been sort of behind closed doors yeah. for a very long time. Completely. And, and I think that's what's, that's, I mean, there's multiple positive things that can come out of this, but I think one thing that I've talked about a lot and, and realized is that maybe this also, I mean, in the industry, the restaurant industry, there's this just common misconception that if you have a successful restaurant, you make a lot of money. Generally, the more exposure you have, the more um, high end you are, the more or whatever, the more you're on these lists and stuff, the less money you make. Yeah. Because it costs so much money to run a restaurant. Yeah. Could we talk a bit more about that? And then we have a few minutes left yeah. before you got to go. But how how do the finances work? And and just in general. So I'll, I'll explain how they work yeah. in, in Denmark. Got it. Um, Unless you are Noma or say Geranium and you're booked six months out, um, it works like this. You, you make all your money in the summer, which is quite lucrative to get you through the winter because it just gets colder and darker and less people come out. There's less people coming here as tourists and, and stuff like that. Not that we even have any tourists this year, but that is how it works. So you make your money November, December, January, February, March, maybe in April a little bit, you either break even or you lose money. But you've put you've banked money and then you basically are your your bank account is not empty, but yeah. not and full so, <laughs> by the end of the winter. Yeah. So 
is it is it would you say because i think i, I heard some numbers uh doing some research for this chat about sort of you know high-end restaurants being 17 percent margin or 20 percent or 15 percent and maybe those numbers are different but to me i was just like wait a minute we will i mean in 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 other consumer good companies yeah and there's a lot of them 400 percent is an average margin yeah no, we're like, we're talking like between 14 and 20 percent yeah and it's i mean like, and i mean I, th I think i think of course that's that's the industry that's yeah. that's what you're doing you know you're, you're serving high quality experiences yeah. to people so of course that costs a lot but it's to me it was a shocking like 14 to 20 percent but the, i mean this is a whole much longer conversation yeah, yeah. to have but restaurants don't charge what they should charge and that's the thing and yeah. and if if we were really charging what we should be charging based on the amount of um, staff we have based on the cost of goods we should be charging triple mm. people should be paying 2000 krona to eat at a mass not 625 krona yeah and but we we and we've maybe created it for ourselves but i think it just is a larger conversation about people not valuing the cost of food food being the thing that keeps you alive yeah and the amount of income that people spend on food is minimal i mean people should be spending 50 percent on food hmm. not 15 yeah. 20 and but that just it's a, it's a it's a larger arcing problem in society yeah. that the value people don't value food and especially in restaurants they don't value the cost of what it takes to yeah. make an experience like this matt i don't want to take up too much of your time you've <laughs> already been very kind but we should do this again and get yeah. a little deeper into something Definitely. uh thank you for inviting us in you're welcome uh, and, and showing us around and and uh i let you get to work <laughs> <laughs> thank you but uh where can people find you uh where should they check out something uh, about you massrestaurant.com okay hit great. us up Perfect. come for fried chicken if you don't want to come for the i'm coming experience. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> i'll be there um yeah and yeah just just come see the new amass and kind yeah. of feel the new energy and come sit in the garden and awesome yeah. thanks so much Matt. you're welcome have a good day thank, thank you, you.